Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of Ian's Untitled Scene Show. My name is Ian and I am very excited because tonight I have a gentleman on that I have wanted to talk to for a very long time. So please everyone, welcome to the show on the phone right now, Justin of Wrist Meat Razor. Justin, man, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you? I am not doing too bad. I, I really appreciate you being able to do the show. So where are you currently? Uh, well, currently I'm in uh, the Bay Area working on some uh, other music stuff, but I uh, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh-huh. If you don't mind, do you mind going into some of the music stuff you're doing currently? Because obviously we're going to talk about the new album and everything, but what are you currently right. doing? Uh, well, I also um, do other bands in Vegas, so I'm up just kind of hanging out with some friends while they're doing stuff. Nothing, nothing too uh, too serious to to uh, talk about with that. But it's not Risk Me Razor, if if that makes sense. It's right. not Risk Me Razor. Oriented, so. <laughs> no, I I completely understand. Look, I'm sure you guys have already probably started on new stuff because that's just the way everyone seems to be right now. But I think the mm-hmm. the big news is June 11th. The brand new album, Replica of a Strange Love, comes out on Prosthetic Records. So, man, I, I mean, this is obviously being recorded a little bit before the album actually comes out. It'll probably come out on that Monday or Tuesday before the mm-hmm. release. But, you know, what are you feeling right now? Do you have that kind of jittery feeling or do you not care? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I think there's a certain level of anxiety when you're about to put out music. I think um, I think you get to a point where... Um, the records, um, the records release and how it's, uh, how it's uh, received by everyone is very important. And so mm-hmm. the, uh, the variable there of not knowing, you know, the unknown is probably what makes it a little bit more unnerving, but mostly excited. I think we're all really excited just to get it out. Absolutely. Now, I, I think we're going to, we're going to dive kind of deep into, you know, everything. Cause I've actually heard the album multiple times, you know, they sent me a stream of it. So I'm not going into this cold and I've been a Mm -hmm. fan for a while. So I think Mm -hmm. one of the big things is there is definitely a feeling of a little bit of change in the style of music that you guys have done. You know, whether you want to call that an evolution or a restructuring, something like that. But how did you feel that you wanted that change to take place? I think uh, as a band, we've always been about kind of kind of taking what we did most recently and then pushing it further and Mm -hmm. this record is just us pushing all the things that we really liked about the last record and then about the take your shot fun boy single and then pushing that into an even further extreme and it it, it goes deeper than music it's about the aesthetics and it's about the uh, philosophy and the lyrics and all that so it's it, it is exactly um what i think we've envisioned the band to be i i guess it uh it uh, stands to be seen if it's uh, the vision that other people have for us. But, you know, June 11th, we'll find out. Exactly. Well, I mean, you put out three singles already that people have had a chance to really digest over their time, you know, going from COVID into a kind of almost normalcy right now. What has the response been like? It's been great. I mean, it's been an amazing response for for something that, uh, you know, I think we had expectations as far as responses go and it's exceeded it and it's been awesome. And, uh, as far as the singles go, I think, uh, I think, um, it's a very small slice of a much bigger record. And 
even in some ways I feel like doesn't do it entire justice. There was no, there was no number of songs we could have used the singles that would have done this one justice. I think so. Right. You really, you really just have to listen to the whole thing. And that's what I've told virtually everyone that's asked about it. Oh, sure. You know, if you, if you listen to the singles, you get a, you get a taste of it, but the record is much bigger. It's much bigger, much bigger thing. Right. Well, what do you feel about, like right now, one of the huge trends, and I've talked about this on the show with many people before, you've kind of got this time now where people aren't or they don't seem as interested in full albums. You know, a lot of bands are releasing, you know, just singles, and then maybe they put out an EP at the end of a six-month period or something like that. I really do feel after listening to this album that, and just, you know, working off of what you just said, I think you do as well, that you want people to experience the album as a whole. So how does that work now, I guess, with the industry changing so much? I think as far as the industry that we kind of work within and the fans that we kind of work within, there is still an, uh, an accept, like there's still a, an, expectation that there's going to be a full album when you start putting out singles um i'm not sure when it's going to come around that you know our kind of genre of music and our genre of a fan um starts only wanting singles i think that's definitely it's definitely the case in stuff like hip-hop and uh different kinds of electronic music um but for where we are i think there's always an expectation for a record um and so as far as that goes i I write lyrics at least for a bigger concept of a record than I do just one tiny, you know, tiny thing, one tiny flashpoint. Sure. So um, the songs have a much bigger conceptual thing going on without being a concept record. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of bands of our, of our ilk and uh, doing our genre kind of write the same way in a similar in a similar manner but who knows i mean who knows what what the future holds because i, I do think that there is there is a, a a noticeable shift in how people listen to music and mm -hmm. that's you know going to change how music's released too absolutely so. yeah no no ab absolutely so here's a question though you had mentioned you know take your shot fun boy and that was kind of a standalone single on that one what was your goal of putting that out but not adding that to any ep or any album so we wrote that. So we did a, a tour with CU Space Cowboy in 2019, mm -hmm. uh, which was our first tour with our uh, second guitar player, our newest guitar player, Tyler Norris. Right. Um, and we hadn't written anything with him. And so after we did that tour, we felt very, you know, we felt very compelled and influenced to do something, do something that was going to push the band a little bit further with also having another guitarist help write it. And so we had, before that, it had always been, that Jonah, the uh, first guitarist, and my and me mm -hmm. wrote uh, everything. Ah. Like we were basically the only people doing any of the writing for anything, and most of it was Jonah instrumentally. Like he would do most everything instrumentally. Wow. So, uh, so this "Take Your Shot, Fun Boy" felt like our very necessary inclusion of a different writing style. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I think you're going to find if you're listening to this and uh, are interested in listening to the record is that that song is uh, very much a precursor to what this record is uh, instrumentally and vocally. So I think listening to them in that succession, uh, succession is going to be good. You know? Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I think that was a very good intro. And you did mention something that I wanted to bring up with the inclusion of Tyler there. You're now a four-piece band officially. And I think you can tell by listening to it how different the dynamics can be. So what, besides Jonah doing, you know, most of the writing originally with the instrumentation that you mentioned, how did the dynamics change between all four of you once Tyler joined the band? What was the writing process like for the actual album? It, uh, it was a little different, but, but to be fair, to be even more fair is that the record is produced by Isaac Hale of Knocked Loose. Yes. Um, so he also was involved in the writing. So it, it added an even deeper element. There was a, a whole nother guitar player that helped write this record as well. Sure. So, uh, it, it had a lot more, a lot more of that changed. But I, I think um, as far as like Tyler and uh, Jonah's kind of thing is now there's just a lot more of a, a give and take. There will mm-hmm. be one guy will have an idea um, and then we'll kind of filter it through. And then the other guy will think about it a little bit longer and then have a different idea. And, you know, and it's it's kind of it's more it's more varied when you kind of have two different ears that hear things differently. Right. And it never used to be like that for us. And so a, a lot of the key differences in Rizmi Razor now is is attributed to that. And it's attributed to uh, production by Isaac Hale and stuff like that. Like that, that wasn't something that we ever did um, on any of the EPs or mm-hmm. the first full length or any of that. So Very interesting. Yeah, we're going to definitely get to Isaac in a second as well. But I thought mm-hmm. that was very interesting what you just said about the you know the back and forth hearing different you know having different ears hear certain things one of the things that i always really enjoyed about the band is even i guess with jonah doing most of the writing you guys were also splitting the vocals between the three of you and then i know you're doing the same or similar in this album as well but when jonah was writing how did you guys kind of figure out who would be taking each you know bit of lyrics how do you guys know when you were gonna you know quote unquote harmonize with screaming how do you guys work all that out and did that change now going into you know the new album replica of a strange love yeah so so the way that the band had always worked traditionally before this record was that jonah would write the lyrics to some the lyrics and patterns of some songs and then i would write the lyrics and patterns of some songs and Uh. we'd uh those songs would uh, kind of be our own kind of personal thing. I wrote the lyrics to take your shot, the lyrics and uh, rhythms to take your shot fun boy. Okay. And then I wrote all of the lyrics on this new record, then all the patterns on this new record and the choruses and the melodies and all that shit Ah. was uh, written by me. So the difference now is that I, whatever, if anyone is doing a part, it's, it was directed by me. So, so uh, for the most part, the lyrical side of it is is very much something that I'm very intimately involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, the instrumental side of it, like I said, is is a very mixed bag of of influence. It comes from a lot of different places, um, and we all kind of put in something on on that. But as far as the patterns and the lyrics go, that's you know that's coming more from me now, which is different. Yeah. So. What spurred that along? Was that just something you really wanted to tackle? You wanted to kind of take that pressure on yourself? I mean, it's a direction that uh, I think we all felt the band uh, would benefit going in. And uh, to be honest, it's going to go further in that direction as the uh, as the band continues on. I, I don't want to give up too much, but sure. that is this is essentially kind of 
us foreshadowing the future of the band too. So very interesting. All right. Well, no, I I have now even more excitement for where you guys can go. So I, I appreciate that. So let's yeah. go back to let's go back to Isaac for a second. So sure. you know, for a lot of people, they know you know Brian. They know the lead vocalist of Knock Loose, but Isaac right. is doing you know he's lead guitar plus he's also doing backup screams for Knock Loose right. as well. How did you know you wanted to work with him for this production? Because it is, I mean. It's not necessarily similar music because I think you guys are very different bands, but how did you know that he would work so well with what you guys wanted to accomplish? Well, we've all known Isaac for a very long time. I've known him since about 2015. I think the other guys have known him for about the same time. Like it's it's a thing that we've we've kind of like we've crossed paths with Isaac Bunch. He's a good friend of ours. He's always liked the band. Ah. Um and so he had mentioned that he was interested in getting into, you know, doing some producing stuff. And right. and to be honest, I, I'm not going to try to speak too much for Knox and how they operate, but he does write a lot of stuff that ends up on Knock Loose Records, mm-hmm. and he writes all the stuff that ends up on the Inclination Records. Um, I see. So ultimately, he is a guy who I think and always have thought is one of the um, best musicians in heavy music, period. He has... Yeah some of the best ideas and he has some of the best vision when it comes to this genre and uh whether it's known to the public or not it's the it's the truth you know what i mean and so and so i i I, it was always a no-brainer for us that we wanted isaac to do this it was like as soon as we asked him and he said he was down we pushed as hard as we could to make sure it happened yeah um and when we got into the studio i i I wanted to have him on a song too because he was so intimately involved as well right. in the writing and the recording and all of it. So it's it it might not it it doesn't sound like knock loose. The record is not a no, you no. know, it's not a knock loose clone or anything like that. But it, <laughs> no. I think I think if anything, it speaks to how uh multifaceted he really is and how much music he listens to that he could hear you know our vision and then put in his own ideas as if he was, you know, our third guitar player. So I think, uh, I think he's, he's absolutely a person that everyone needs to watch when it comes to the future of, you know, metal production and hardcore production. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree because I think that was a big thing. As soon as I saw that he was a part of this, you know, I looked up, you know, not the knock loose stuff because I already knew that, but the actual, you know, what has he produced? What has he done in, in, you know, in the background? of the music industry and it wasn't or it didn't seem to be there as strong as what he's done you know playing guitar and screaming and everything so to right. hear you know the full album to hear the full album and really you know get a bird's eye view of everything going on you can really tell he knows what he's doing and i thought that right. was very interesting that you guys had that inclination hey, we want to work with this guy. We know this guy can pull, you know, the best out of us and really get us on the album. Right. And on top of that, I think, you know, it's this is one of those things that it's a bit of an open secret um, behind closed doors or in the in the backgrounds or in the, you know, in the uh, more business side of things that he is this good. Like it's not even if his even if his google searches aren't turning up a bunch of records that he's produced sure. right now we we're aware of records he is producing and we're aware of like what he's capable of doing so it was never we didn't have to like we didn't have to resume check him or something like that, right. that makes no, no. he doesn't he doesn't need that he's he is much better than that you know right 
Yeah, no, no, that's certainly not what I meant with that. No, I yeah. had to, believe me, I checked my sources as well to, to find out. So I know a little <laughs> bit of the things going on, but right. I, no, no, it's, it's great. And I think asking him to do the feature obviously added a extra layer. So if people haven't heard it, it's Last Tango in Paris, which is one of the actual singles. Was there another song at some point that you wanted to put him on? So when we went up there, um, there wasn't any expectation to have him on any songs. And, and, and it usually is of my kind of my thought process when it comes to delineating who is going to do what vocal, mm-hmm. that it stays within our band and that we do them. I just I feel like guest vocals can get real messy. But the way that this record unfolded, um, it made so much sense to have Isaac on something. And uh, when we got up there, I can't remember if there was another song that I considered. I, To be honest with you, I don't think there ever was because I had one part in fucking Last Tango in Paris that I thought was going to be perfect for him. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up becoming two parts. And then after I thought of that, it was done. It was a done deal. That was also during pre-pro. That was Isaac's favorite track. So I felt uh, like that. It just made the most sense to have him on that one. Right. Yeah, no, and it obviously it worked out really well. You were able to shoot a music video for it too, which I know right. took off. A lot of people enjoyed that. So mm-hmm. I, I really like that idea of how you're directing people in the band and also obviously this feature, you know, coming in at this time. So how was that for you to really do like were there multiple times that you'd be doing a track all together and you would hear someone do one part and say ah, no, nah, that, that doesn't really work. Let's move that over to Brian, let's say, and then I'm going to take a higher screaming part, like something like that. How did that work out? Because it sounds like you're playing, you know, like a game of chess, trying to get yeah. everything together. Well, I know I know everyone's everyone's strengths when it comes to vocals, and, yeah. and we do all have very different strengths. So I, that never really happened. It never really happened that things got swapped over. There was a couple times when things needed to be changed slightly, but mm-hmm. it stayed with the same person and we just had them try something different. Um, but for the most part, uh, I, I mean, we've played so many shows and I just right. understand their registers so well that it, it was, I could hear it in my head way before it ever happened. So uh-huh. when it, when it, when it was coming out on, uh, in the studio, it was, uh, not, not any different. So it was easy. Nice. Was there anything that you had to, really push someone on was there any register that you really tried someone to hit or even one that you were trying to to really match what you knew you wanted on the track yeah there was tons like this record i guess for those of you who haven't heard it yet or if you are about to hear it this record takes way more chances vocally than anything we've ever done Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of it was stuff that we weren't exactly comfortable with because we didn't we hadn't really done you know what i mean it's not things that we've really done so there's certain singing parts that i did that i felt like you know i really was trying to like get in the pocket with and create something with Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of parts that brian did that really sore and we we had to work at those a lot to get get them to where they needed to be Um, and then on top of that um, just the screaming vocals which i think we're all good enough at the screaming vocals so that all kind of just fell into you know fell into the palm of our hand the way it always does like it comes out the way it does but the the singing stuff really was i mean singing on a record is not easy if anyone's if anyone out there has uh never tried it it's 
difficult. It's nerve wracking. Your voice betrays you. It makes weird noises. It's not, it's not fun. It really isn't. Right. No, it's, it's absolutely true. So did you do anything yourself? Did you, did you take any brief lessons? Did you even do anything on YouTube? Like was it, or was it more working with Isaac to make sure that you knew you were just like, yes, that's how I wanted to sound. Well, Brian did a lot of YouTube stuff. He okay. he was did a lot of the YouTube practices where you warm your voice up. He just has a naturally very and naturally he has a great voice. Like yeah. his voice is just really good. Um, for me, I uh, I wanted my voice to always be real, very real. Mm-hmm. I was like a big. I was always a big fan of like kind of like the '80s kind of hair metal thing when it came to like the vocals, where they just kind of they just kind of said fuck it and did whatever they wanted with right. it you know what i mean sure. yeah, yeah. um so like that was what i took in like for my vocals i kind of wanted them to come off kind of raspy mm-hmm. kind of like yelly on that on that level and um what what ended up becoming of everything was that after screaming my voice would just be fucking wrecked you right. know like right. it, it wouldn't be i wouldn't be able to do any vocals so we uh i, I would i would do uh i would take about a day after my voice was just fucked and drank tea all day long until my voice got good enough to where I could actually do it again. And then, you know, rinse and repeat. That was basically exactly how I did vocals. Brian nailed most of his takes. Very nice. He just, he, he, uh, he stayed on top of his, uh, vocal health. And also, uh, the record focuses a lot more on me when it comes to the screening vocals by design so that it's going to be easier for everyone else to do the things that they do. Right. Now, will that change when you guys, because obviously now, you know, things are kind of like I mentioned before, they're kind of getting quote unquote back to normal. So, right. you know, people are obviously planning and they're, you know, scheduling tours and whatnot. Do you think right. some of the dynamics of what you're pulling off in the album will have to be switched around for when you're trying to do it live? A little bit, but I think, I think the goal now is going to be to do all this shit again. Okay. You know, it's to it's to do everything that we do um live. Yeah. You know, everything on this record we want to do live. So it's gonna be as true to the record as we can possibly get it. I will say that. Will there be the chance, and I know this is probably wishful thinking, but would mm-hmm. there be the chance of actually being able to hear replica of a strange love front to back sometime live? Uh, I'm going to say no, but I, I do think that, uh, I do think there's going to be more of the songs off this record that are going to be performed live than I think you would expect. We, I, we would definitely like to branch out and not just play the heaviest songs live, right? depending on the show. But yeah, there's a, there's a potential to see all of them live. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, for right now, I would say that that's playing it front to back. Isn't like a thing that's in the cards for us, but you never know. Maybe. Right. Maybe. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I totally get that. It, it's relatively rare. I mean, most of the time, as you know, when you see bands do an album front to back, it's more like a 10 year anniversary or something right. like that. So it's, and, I, I think I've only seen, and I know this isn't necessarily obviously in the genre of what we're talking about right now, but I think the only band I ever saw an album release where the band did the album front to back on an actual natural uh, national tour was Pierce the Veil when Misadventures yeah. came up. And I thought that was so interesting that they took that risk because you are technically going out there to play an album that people have probably only heard four singles, maybe three to four singles. And then right. you're expecting them to keep their attention 
that entire time. So it right. is, it's a tough thing to do. And I know you guys got to, I mean, I'm sure the way you look at an album and the track list, the track listing of an album is a similar way you're going to look at the set list for what you do live as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that's sick that they did that. That's a flex. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I'm sure we would love to, we would love to flex like that on sure. whatever tour we were doing. I think, uh, as you know, this record is not one that would be easily performed front to back because right. it's not. It there's a lot of different things that start happening that uh, might make it a little bit more difficult. But uh, again, I, who knows? You know, right. the stars may align one day. No, ex- exactly, and that once again that gives me hope because you never yes. know. It's always it's always a fun thing whenever we're dealing with music and and what right. can be done for sure. Right. So now, like I said, this is going to be coming out very close to when the actual album is out itself. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit more into the album. And I thought one of the one of the big things or one of the ways the album flowed was very interesting to me because you have about three tracks, I would say, that I wouldn't necessarily call interludes because they have, they have a lot to do with the story of the album, but they do right. break things up. So you've got... Love Labor's Lost, you've got 999, you've got, you know, to a little bit lesser extent, maybe all, you know, all the way alive. And it breaks up the album. But what mindset are you in when you're doing those type of tracks? Because obviously they are so different from the rest of the album. How do you get your mindset into that? How do you know you want to create that type of music? We always, we've always been big fans of dark wave and industrial and stuff like that so these tracks um to that extent shouldn't be much of a surprise to people that know us at least so it was easy this is what we wanted to do as far as writing lyrics and composing the music i mean that aspect of it's probably a little bit more uh i don't know a little bit more feral i think we we kind of went into it in a in a lot more of a and a lot darker place, especially considering when it was done in the summer of 2020. Oh, right. Um, so the record, the, those songs are very, um, are very real in a, in a, in a way that I guess I can't truly explain without people having listened to the songs, but they're very real. And in, in that one space, we, we really enjoyed like kind of creating them. Mm-hmm. Um, instrumentally, those were created, Tyler created, uh, loves labor's lost. And then, uh, Jonah created the other two with the instrumentals and they're very, they're very real. They're, they're very true to the visions of those. And then the lyrics are all, are all things that I uh, conjured up in isolation. So (laughs) in isolation. Yes. I think that's a tough part. And I think we, we see that a lot in the music that's coming out right now. And, you know, did in people that recorded in 2020 and, you know, by the end of 2020, there was new EPs or new albums a lot of that's been affected. Did you have an idea when you were actually, when you had the idea of this album? So let's say we're, we're after Misery Never Forgets, right? And you're, you're planning mm-hmm. on what you're going to do. Did things change drastically because of the way COVID was and the way COVID had separated everybody? I mean, nothing changed as far as the instrumental goes, because to, to give more context to that, the instrumentals were created in February of 2020. Ah. So they were created before we knew there was even a uh, shutdown coming. We right. had a tour that was planned in April that was going to precede us going to the studio in June. But what happened was COVID right. and uh, the result of that was no tour. And so instead of going from 
you know, Kentucky pre-proing with Isaac to um, tour to the studio, mm -hmm. it was just pre-proing to nothing. <laughs> so ah, that's sure. that's where that's where all the lyrics were written but the instrumentals were all written for that so the lyrics might have been influenced by this i mean i <laughs> i'm gonna say that they were very influenced by this yeah however the instrumentals weren't this is the record we wanted to make this is the record we planned on making um the last you know two years probably since misery never forgets came out Oh, okay. So then obviously based on what you're saying and, you know, a lot of bands do this as well. You've got your, your instrumentation first, you've got your music first, and then you go to write. Did you have anything already written? Like how, I guess the main question is, how do you normally write? Are you one of those people that's constantly writing things down or do you need to, you know, I, I guess in COVID you didn't really have any other choice than to kind of seclude yourself, but is that something that you normally do? I mean, yes, but also, I mean, I always have a notepad on my phone yeah. that's full of stuff, just full of ideas, lyric ideas, stuff like that. I think a lot of writers do this, but yes. like I do that constantly where I'm always writing things that I think are cool, but I'm also not a guy that writes full lyrics with no song. You oh, know what I mean? Okay. I, I, uh, I only write ideas. And then once the instruments come into play, then mm -hmm. I write the lyrics. I think, uh, lyrics and, uh, vocals and all of that is just meant to do justice to a song. It's supposed to work within the confines of a song. So right. that's how I write at least. Um, but it's all, it's all supposed to be a natural progression for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't try to force any of that, that, that all just comes when it comes kind of thing. And we luckily enough, maybe a blessing of COVID is that there was plenty of time to do that. Yes, there was plenty right. of time to wait and let it, let it kind of settle in. And then, you know, move on it. Cause if not, there would have really only been about a month or two of lyric writing for me and it wouldn't have been as, you know, as thought out as it was. So, Oh, okay. All right. That makes sense. Now, when you were, you know, we all have our different stories of what we were doing during COVID and with you being able to work on other projects, I'm, I'm guessing, but then uh -huh. also that the band itself is pretty split up across the country normally, correct? Right, right. Yeah, we all we all live in we live in four different cities right now. So. Right, so you guys are, you're kind of used to already, uh, you know, in the past being able to write things, pass it back and forth, mix everything mm -hmm. together, do whatever you had to to get music out. So, what would what would you say was the most jarring thing besides you know not being able to see people as much when it came to music though? What was maybe the most jarring thing for you? Uh. I see. And I don't think necessarily any of it was overwhelmingly jarring for us. I mean, we, this was essentially, it was as if we, uh, we just took a year and a half long break. Cause I mean, we still talk all the time. Uh, we talk every single day. We have plans. We, it, we've been luckily lucky enough that the band never stopped. So we pre-proed in, in, uh, we pre-proed in February. Mm -hmm. We recorded in June. We did the music videos in December. Ah. We did the first single in March. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It, it just, the progression there was about every couple months we had a new plan. We had a new thing we were doing. So it, it never really stopped. Mm -hmm. It was basically like we took a year and a half break from touring um, just to write this record. So to that extent, things weren't that bad for us. I mean, it all felt very natural, mm -hmm. like continuing to do what we do. So right. we didn't have any kind of things where we were like questioning 
everything or uh, wondering no if we should be doing this. Crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that. None of that. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, that's a good thing. That is that is a good thing. Right, right. So then, uh, you know, it's kind of a generic question, but I think it applies to the situation of so you know you had that year and a half break basically of touring. You know, were you going through withdrawals of touring? Like, is touring something that you love unconditionally, or was it nice to have that little break? I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it uh, was awful. Like, oh, okay. I mean, this what this is what we do. We 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 tour. Right. We're uh, we're musicians because we love playing music. We're not musicians because we love uh, you know the business side of it or even recording and shit like that. I mean, I want to play music you know so for me it was horrible but for them for some of them it might have been it might have been better you know i think uh, touring is a very specific thing and and sometimes taking a break from it isn't bad uh, but i do think that it's going to be hard to go back harder to go back now that it's been so long right i think a, a lot of bands and a lot of people are going to have forgotten the the whole cycle the whole process of touring which is a very specific thing so for sure yeah, I mean, everyone's got their rituals. I mean, one of the right. things, too, to to kind of question you on is, you know, you guys are a very energetic band. You guys go crazy on stage. I've I've been lucky enough to at least see you, seen you once, and I'm hoping that nice. whenever another tour comes around that you guys will be back up here, you know, in the Boston area. But the mm -hmm. question for you is, do you have to do anything, whether it's vocals, whether it's, you know, exercising your body? whatever it happens to be to get ready for touring in general? Uh, me personally, I don't do anything really, but it's also, it's also a product of the, me having toured for as long as I have. I've toured right. for most of my life at this point. So it's not, I don't ever feel like I have to get ready. It's just a mindset that just clicks in for me. Now, this is kind of what I, this is what I do. So okay. it, it feels, it feels natural. Um, I think it probably is harder for some of the other guys to mm -hmm. just kind of go from their nine to five lives where they have like, they go hang out at their girlfriend's house and, you know, they live their, their life sure. and then just stop all of that and then just be on the road and then live that life, which is a stark contrast. Like there's no, all of the comforts of home just disappear. And so right. um, I'm sure some of them probably do have to, are going to have to reintegrate themselves you know, in a, some sort of way. But for me, it's not really, I, I don't know. I don't really live out when my, my home life isn't too different from touring life. I don't, ah. you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of, I don't have a ton of the, uh, the um, customs and the familiarities of, of home that I think some of the other ones do. Interesting. And now is that because, so for me, I, I grew up an Air Force brat. So, mm -hmm. you know, living all over the country, living in other countries, it's very easy for me to pack up and leave somewhere and just right. adapt to the next area. You know, I'd actually probably be pretty good on tour if my band yeah. in the past had ever made it to, to <laughs> real touring. That, that right. would be something that I'd probably, you know, kind of gravitate towards. But is that right. something that you have in your past or is it more just because of Las Vegas and kind of how – I know a lot of people who have lived in Vegas feel kind of a disassociation with that as their, you know, their home, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I also grew up an Air Force brat, oh, so that's okay. kind of that's kind of the way that I uh, sort of grew up. But I, I don't know. I, it's Vegas is very transient, so it, it is similar to that. Yeah. Um, but uh, mostly, I just enjoy traveling. I always okay. wanted to travel. 
I didn't want to work a nine to five job and do it that way. Mm -hmm. Just save up and go on vacations. And doing this is a very affordable way to travel. I mean, you get paid to travel, essentially. You travel in a very different way, but you do get to see lots of really beautiful and and, uh, life-altering shit that uh, you would never get to see on a vacation or any other way. And I I think uh, the allure of that is always calling. So, yeah. When you, when you mentioned being an Air Force brat yourself, where was your favorite place to grow up? Do you have one? Uh, I don't know, actually. We lived in Japan for a while. I think that was oh, probably my cool. favorite at the time. Yeah. I, I still have not made it out there. I still, yeah. at some point, I would like to. I mean, have you have you toured? I, I forget if you guys were able to tour in Japan before. No, we've never toured to, to Japan yet. I know we very much want to, so hopefully that's something we can do on this album cycle. Uh, we've only done, yeah, we've only done the U.S. and Canada, but okay. uh, yeah, hopefully Europe and Japan and Australia are all on the horizon for us. I mean, you've got a great, you've got a great sound for Europe for sure. Like, and I think right. Japan, I think Japan too. I mean, Japan is has some amazing metalcore bands and they have a great following out there so i i would be surprised if you weren't able to do well doing that right i i mean i agree i think we would kill it in japan personally so yeah no, hopefully I, I fingers agree. crossed yeah now i know um for for yourself obviously you're doing vocals and you're playing bass and you mentioned before the term natural of of how you're feeling about touring and whatnot so i i did notice or i was thinking about this the other day so you've got your three piece and now you're a four piece. Have you ever thought of, you know, leaving the bass behind when you're playing live? Was that ever a goal for you or do you feel more comfortable, more natural, you know, doing everything behind the bass? No, that's definitely a goal. I guess I guess you'll have to wait and see how much of a goal that is. But no, that's that's a goal for okay. sure. <laughs> is there any specific reason for it? Do you think that you're able to do more with like connecting with the crowd or is it more you know, you don't actually need to be playing bass while you're while you're screaming, singing, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there there's uh there's pros and cons to both. I sure. I, I think uh, being the uh, being the vocalist and being the only vocalist is a an interesting thing. It gives uh, a lot of crowd participation to what's happening when there's one person to follow, and it's a little bit more difficult when you're playing and singing. I think people feel a little bit uh, when you're watching it, you, you're not sure entirely who you should watch. If you should watch this guy who's yeah. singing and playing or this guy who's singing and playing. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. not one person with the mic walking around. So, right. I mean, they it all plays to different kind of strengths. We just we just always like evolving. Like, I mean, sure. we, if we once we've done something, we want to do something new. So, yeah. That makes sense. Let me go back. I'm going to go all the way back to, you know, the first EP. And, you know, you guys had This Summer Sorrow on that original, you know, I Talked to God. And then now, as you, you know, you even released it as a single, but you've got, you know, Summer Sorrow Part 2. Right. How did you decide to make, like, where did you want to make that connection? Because, you know, Summer Sorrow 1, let's say, ended with, you know, I need to see the end of you. Whereas mm-hmm. in the sequel, it's I need to see the end. Right. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Is that a continuation of that story that you always wanted to make? Or is it something just completely different? It's definitely, it's the, uh, in my opinion, it's the uh, logical 
um, next step of the first song. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when we when we were pre-proing it, Isaac and Tyler really liked the idea of doing a sequel to This Summer Sorrow. They just liked the key of it and the uh, sound of it. Yeah. And so this song is in the same exact key as uh, This Summer Sorrow 1 was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so naturally, I felt like lyrically it needed to have you know, every good sequel has a uh, callback. And so that, that part is definitely the callback to the first one. Uh, the songs are spiritually, um, one is succeeding the other. <laughs> so they are, they are meant to, uh, they are meant to be listened to in tandem if, if that's what you want to do. Um, but lyrically, like the exact lyrical themes are more conceptual as okay. far as how they connect. Um, but they are they are connected. If uh, yeah, if you wanted to look deeper into how that is, the the lyrics will definitely be in the uh, in the vinyl insert. But yes, they are. They every there's just like many other things on this record. There are a lot of deeper concepts that are touched upon that uh, I don't really point out in any kind of significant way. So it's up to you as a listener. If, you want to look into it further you can there aren't really any coincidences everything's put there on purpose so yeah that's that's one of my favorite things of when you know there's a general concept to an album right. so i'm right. looking forward to myself getting the vinyl because even though i've listened to this stream over and over again you know mm-hmm. preparing for this and just listening because i i really enjoy it it's awesome. one of those things where i can i can hear a lot of the lyrics probably 80% or so somewhere around there but to right. be able to follow along while reading the official lyrics always brings that extra layer to what you're doing as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, the lyrics go pretty deep. Yeah. They, uh, so I'm interested in, in, in the uh, responses to them for sure. And I think you'll get a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you, definitely, <that's> good. <laughs> you definitely will. So I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to wrap up here in a little bit. But I know you've got a bunch of stuff you got to do. I wanted to go over, though, in general, and I I don't know how you feel about this. When people talk about genres and trying to put certain bands into certain areas and not necessarily pigeonholing, but trying to describe, you know, a certain type of band to somebody right now. And I don't know. I'm sure you guys know this, but there's a lot of talk in the scene in general about, quote unquote, revival bands. And, you know, bands that are bringing back that, like, early 2000s screamo, post-hardcore, metalcore, trying to bring things back almost to that old-school way of how things were done. Is that something that you gravitate towards? Or do you just, you know, you're doing yourself, obviously, but is that something that you appreciate? Or do you not pay attention to that kind of thing? I mean, we don't pay attention to much of anything when it comes to what other people are saying, good or bad, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, we we appreciate the good things, but uh, ultimately it doesn't influence us. Like if people really like something that we're doing, it doesn't influence us to create more of it. Just just as in contrast, when someone says that they hate something, it doesn't you know, influence us to stop doing it. There, right. there really is no connection there for us. Um, as far as the genre goes, and I've said this in the past too, we don't have any real, any real skin in that game at all. It's our our genre is dictated by the people who listen to us and who post about it and Mm -hmm. who write interviews and who do stuff like this and do reviews and stuff, shit like that. Like that's, 
the people who give us the genre. We don't look out. We don't think about our next record and we're like, well, this is going to have this you know, scene revival thing and we're going to hopefully bring back this. I mean, I, I don't think anything we've done is even remotely a scene revival. But right. if someone that likes us thinks that, then I think that's cool. And if someone wants to listen to us because they, they think that we sound like that, I think that's cool, too. Mm-hmm. Um, if If you ask me, we didn't set out to do that. But if that's what you think... I mean, you can, and a lot of different people have taken a lot of different influences from everything we've done. Not oh, even sure. just this record or the last record or the EPs, any of it. Mm-hmm. We were, we never were trying to be a screamo band. We, we hashtag screamo on Bandcamp. That's <laughs> why people call us a screamo band. So sure. we had a bunch of influences, even when we were creating, you know, the EPs and the demo. Like, it's never been a thing that's been pigeonholed into one, right. one exact uh, genre. But people do it, and it, and if they if they believe it, and it makes them like the band more than I, who am I to say that that's a bad thing? You know? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I never expected that you would be someone to go along with trends. Then right. <laughs> I never really, you know, from knowing your band for so long and talking right. to you, I, I did not expect that. <laughs> that <Right. is> sure. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you this because we're going to, we're going to wrap up in a second. Sure. And once again, this is kind of cliche, but I think I can tell by talking to you, you don't want to give a whole lot away about the album because you want people to be surprised. You want people to really dive in. You don't want to, I guess, what would you call it? Maybe impact the way that they might, you know, take in that media, that content, um, and and be able to make up their own minds about what's going on. But for you then, going from Misery Never Forgets to this album, what do you think is something that you really want people to pick up from it? I mean, obviously, for me, listening to it, I know you guys added a lot. You mentioned the word evolution. I would certainly use that in in this case, even liking both as completely separate albums as well as the EPs. But for you, what what are you most looking forward to people being able to hear? Just that there's a philosophy to it. There's a uh, There's a purpose behind it that's deeper than writing you know hopeless romantic heartbreak anthems sure the record is definitely a lot more angry it uh looks at ourselves it looks at the world it uh analyzes you know the last year and it puts that into context in ways that i don't think anyone else is doing and uh more than anything else i I think that it uh it uh, blazes a, a new path for the band and maybe for music in general that wants to be heavy like us mm-hmm. uh, that uh, y- you can, you can have your own kind of opinions and, and think critically about things and uh, be able to put that out in the world and feel good about it. If it's representative of you and it's representative of the, you know, the world you live in and that's us. We, we stay very true to you know how we feel and, and our, uh, our environment. And uh, this is, this is, uh, this is us. This is us through a, uh, through the broken uh, mirror of society, uh, reflecting back on uh, everyone that is, uh, has uh, caused this, that has created this. So Yeah. No, I, I definitely feel that. I like that. And I think you will, you know, inspire some people with this album, too. I think this is <laughs> going to be something in the future that people look back in and say, you know, hey, I, I want to make music like this. Right. I, I hope so. Yeah. And I, I personally, you know, I appreciate that from just the music standpoint of how much I enjoyed this album. So right, that, that right. definitely makes me feel good. 
that's that's good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Absolutely. So I think right now we're going to do the wrap up plug section. Do me a sure. favor. Just stay on the line after we say our goodbyes. I'll turn off the recorders and we'll we'll talk for a little bit more. But okay. For right now, I think this is a good time to let everyone know. Obviously, we talked about it at the beginning and throughout, but Replica of a Strange Love is coming out on June 11th through Prosthetic Records. So basically, what I'm guessing is that's going to be this Friday. So I really want people to listen to this. I want people to really go through it the same way that I did. You know, listen however you want, but I'm telling you this experience of this album front to back has been one that I haven't experienced in a while. So it was really great for me to continue. I never skipped around different tracks. I just kept on listening front to back, front to back, because it just, that experience was so great. So we're going to have links in the description of the episode so that everyone can follow you guys on every social media so that they can pre-order the you know album, get some vinyls, get whatever merch there's available, and then obviously keep up to date when you guys are hopefully able to make you know the tour announcements that are inevitably coming. So right. you know that's I think that's a great thing. But until then, is there a best way for people to support you guys? Yeah, I, I think the best way would be to go to our website, www.wristbeatraiser.com, mm-hmm. sign up for our mailing list. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at wrist.meat.razor, or you can follow us on Twitter at wristmeatraiser, all one word, or you can follow us on Facebook at wristmeatraiser. And I will make it easy for everyone. I will have all those links in the description so you can get to that very, very easily. Well, just some men. I really appreciated this. I have wanted you guys on the show since 2017. So to be oh, able awesome. to talk about this and, <laughs> and get your opinions on everything that's going on has been really great. And you should be really proud. Replica of a Strange Love is a fantastic album. And I really enjoyed it. Like, like I said, I'll be getting the vinyl. I'll be going through it more. It's not just a prep for a show. I very much enjoyed it. It'll be on my best of 2021 without a doubt. So I hope other people go ahead and listen to it. And I am just really excited to hear what you guys are able to come up with on a regular basis because you guys blew me away. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for uh, being a fan and for doing a great, great interview. I appreciate it. Thank you, man.